So today we want to talk about stepping into the fray, or another way of saying that is, is to get into the game. Uh, so whenever I was in, in high school, I loved to play basketball. That was, that was kind of my sport, and I count myself a solid JV, like second string player. I was one of those guys that the coach liked to have on the bench because you were ensured to have somebody on the bench in case someone else fouls out. And I was also there because when everyone else like might have failed at the six weeks, there was another person who could like step up and like, oh, well, Watson will pass at least. He'll, he'll be there. Um, but one of the things that I love to do is I love to play the game. I love to practice the game. I loved, I just love the competition of it. And I think that is a great metaphor of, of what we are called to do as Christians, that we as Christians are not called to sit on the bench, that we as Christians are not called to sit on the sidelines while everyone else is going into the field. We are not called to stand on, on the edge of, of the field of battle while other people are, are stepping into the fray. That if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, it is your calling and it ought to be our desire to actually get into the game, to get into the battle that God has called us to. What we want to do this morning as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 23 is we want to look as David gets into the game, as he steps into the fray. And I think as we look at David stepping into the fray, we also see these truths that we, as, as members of this body, as, as attenders of this body, what we need to do to step into the fight for the kingdom of God. And I think it's also good that as, as I was reading this, all these images of our church's values have, have just come out as I was reading this text. And so I was excited about that because we're in a time of, of transition. People are PCSing out. People are moving in. So it's always good to, to talk about what we believe as a church. So we want to look at David's story and talk about what we believe as a church, about how we need to be involved in the kingdom of God. I see three, three things here. The first thing we see, the first thing we see is that David... In verses 1 through 6, David knew his calling. David knew who he was and what he was about. David was a king, and he was not a fugitive. We need to understand that. We need to remember that, that David was a king and not a fugitive, that David was called by God. He was anointed by Samuel. Other prophets called him in to this role of being king. But of course, we know there's another king on the throne. So David, in many people's eyes, in many people's thoughts, that David really thought that people thought that he was a fugitive. But though David is king, he finds himself hiding in a cave. And I think whenever you're on the run and whenever you're a fugitive from justice, it's probably easy to forget that you're a king. And it's easy for you to start living like you're a fugitive. But then in verses 1 through 6, we hear of this city, the city of Calah. And Calah is a, a city and it's under attack from the Philistines. And what should a king do whenever he finds out that one of his cities is under attack? What should a king do when he finds out that his people are being oppressed? A king 
ought to come to their rescue. But what would a fugitive do? A fugitive wouldn't care. A fugitive would be more worried about themselves and about how they feel and about how they're set up for the future. And so David decides in this moment to be a king and not a fugitive. And as he was telling his men, as he was preparing people to go into this battle to rescue the city of of Calah, they begin to discourage him. They tried to dissuade him from being king. They're like, David, is this really the best move? Like, here we are. We're trying to survive. We're, we're in survival mode here. People are looking for us, and we're just going to, like, put on our armor and go to battle and announce to our enemies and our enemies' enemies, who are also our enemies, and, to, like, everyone's going to know where we are. Isn't it better if we just, just stay hidden? But David knew his calling was to be a king. And so he went out and he delivered this city. David knew his calling. He knew who he was. He knew what he was about. He knew what he was supposed to do. And as followers of Christ, we also need to know our calling Who are we and what are we about? What are we supposed to be doing? And I think when we think about the idea of calling, every believer in this room has three callings on their life. The first calling you have on your life is to be an adopted son or daughter of the king. If you are a Christian, you have a calling to be an adopted son or daughter as a king. And then once you are in that family, you get a second calling. Your second calling is that if you are a son or daughter of the king, then you are now his image bearer to go out and to make other disciples telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ, inviting them into a relationship with Christ, and walking with them as they are finding this new journey. That's our second calling. So if you're a Christian in this room today, those are two callings that you have on your life. A calling to be a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, a calling to make disciples, but you also have to realize that you have a third calling on your life. This is your daily calling. It very well might be that this third calling on your life is to be a student. It might be that this third calling on your life is to be a soldier or to work in the medical field or to work as a counselor, to be a parent raising your children at home and doing homeschool. That is your third calling. And I think as Christians, oftentimes we think of our first calling to be adopted sons and daughters. We think of our second calling to make disciples, but we never think of that third calling as a real calling. But I want to remind you of the truth today, that that third calling, that what you do, your daily work, is a divine calling on your life. That God is purposeful in placing you where you go to work every day, where he is intentional about what he is calling you to do every day. Why is that? It's because your third calling falls in line with the first two callings. Your third calling with what you do on a daily basis, when you go to your office, 
when you go to your school, whenever you, whenever you do and go about your daily work, what's happening is God is putting you in a particular place and time to do a couple different things. One, to worship through your work, to worship through what you do, but also for you for the purpose of being a witness for Christ wherever you go. If you work for KISD, if you work for the U.S. government, which probably covers about like 90% of us here, right? But if you work wherever you go and whatever you do, that is your mission field. Think about this way. I've heard over the years, and it's common for people to say, well, like sharing the gospel and talking about the Bible, that's really like a pastor's job. But when I think about where you go on a daily basis and what you do on a daily basis, they're not going to listen to me. They don't even know me. How am I going to like even meet them? But there you are on a daily basis in your place of work, in your, in your place of business, where you're going about your daily day, and you are engaging with people. And you might be the only person who can be a witness to Christ for them. They might look at your life and realize that this is what a follower of Christ looks like, and this is what they do, and this is how they speak. You are a missionary wherever you go and whatever you do. You're a missionary. In our church, we describe this as the value of the square. In Texas, and I'm guessing other places as well, towns are, are developed on, on a town square where oftentimes you have an administration building in the, in the center like a courthouse, and then you have a square of streets around the courthouse, and then around that you have all the businesses around there, and that's where life would happen for, for many centuries. That, that's where you would go, and that's where you do business, and that's where you would eat lunch, and that was where you meet people in the community. When we say that we believe in the value of the square, what we are saying is that we believe in your calling, the calling of every member to be a minister of the gospel, a calling for every member to be a missionary in the context where God has you on a daily basis. What does that look like in your life right now? Would the people that you meet on a daily basis recognize the fact that you are different? Would they even recognize the fact that you love Jesus by what you say, by what you do? And are you inviting them in some way to, to know Jesus? And you know what's hard is just as David was surrounded by, by soldiers and men who are trying to dissuade him from fulfilling his calling, we have the same thing, don't we? We are surrounded by thoughts and ideas trying to dissuade us from fulfilling our calling. It looks a lot, it looks a lot like this in our mind as we're thinking about, man, do I want to live my life in the square for the kingdom of God? We begin to have this inward dialogue where we begin to say things like, well, I'm kind of an introvert. I, I don't like to talk that much. I'm not very eloquent with my words. I stumble. And then we say, well, you know, I don't, I don't even know if I'm supposed to share my faith at my work. And it's like, well, you know, it's really not even my job. I'll let someone else share the gospel with other people. And then we say, well, you know, maybe I'm just not ready. Maybe if I had one more class, if I was a little bit more faithful in my Bible readings, I could answer people's questions better. 
but right now I just don't know enough. Or maybe it's the line that I hear a lot lately of, I'm just trying to survive right now. We are surrounded, as David was surrounded by men who are trying to dissuade him from fulfilling his calling, we are surrounded by our own mental thoughts trying to keep us from fulfilling our calling to be ministers and missionaries of the word of God. My question for you is what thoughts are going through your mind? We are saying, this is why I can't live on mission for God at my work. This is why I can't live on mission while I'm at my home. What are the lies? What are the lines that's dissuading you from that truth? And here's just one little prompt. Every now and again, we'd like to throw out little prompts of like ways that you can engage in spiritual conversations. Here's one that you can do. You know, what, what, what do we always say whenever we, we, we see somebody? We say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Right? That's kind of like the common common phrase, and oftentimes we don't even expect people to be honest, but, oh, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I don't even know why we have this conversation. It's pointless, right? But what if this week, whenever you arrive to wherever you go during the week, you say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, I'm good. And then you stop and you pause and you say, no, how are you really doing? And you show care and concern for people that's absent from their life in many cases. How are you really doing? And you're opening up an invitation for people to share their hearts, to share their struggles. You know what the good news is? That Jesus speaks into all of their hurts. That Jesus can speak into all of their struggles. But let us fulfill this mission of the value of the square. Let us fulfill our calling of being missionaries wherever we go, engaging with people, praying with people. And I think that's also another one. You know, I've never had somebody turn me down for prayer. If I said, man, can I pray for you? Let's say you don't have (laughs) the words to say, well, this is what I do in that situation, which is not always the best thing to do. It's probably rarely the best thing to do is say, how can I fix you and your problems? You know what's comforting for people and what actually opens up more doors? If you say, you mind if I pray for you right now? And I know that sounds horribly intimidating, but you're just taking their problems and the things that they are struggling with and you're taking them through the, to the throne of grace. David knew his calling. He knew that he was a king and he fulfilled his calling even when all the voices and even when all the words were trying to dissuade him from doing it. Even when all the reasons sounded so good to not fulfill his calling, he moved forward in being a king. Christ Community Church, let's move forward in being missionaries and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been called by God for such a time as this where people are struggling and they need you. Let's be there for the world. Let's share Christ. The second thing I see David doing in this passage in verses 7 through 14 is that David is seeking God. That David is seeking God. When David joined the fray, when he like got on the field, when he got on the court and he says, I'm here and I'm fulfilling my calling, he didn't do it without seeking the Lord. 
Saul's mad jealousy a few chapters earlier led him to slaughter led him to slaughter all the priests at Nob, all the priests who worked in the tabernacle, and yet one priest was able to escape. Abathar, son of Ahimelech, escaped that slaughter, and he found refuge with David. And we are told that whenever he found refuge with David, he didn't just come by himself, but we are told that he came with an ephod. And I know we're thinking, well, what in the world is an ephod? An ephod is an apron. And we're thinking, why in the world? <laughs> like, would the Bible say, and here's Abathar, and he came with an apron. Uh, but the apron, this apron was actually a priestly garment used in the worship of the tabernacle. And there actually had a, a compartment on this, on this apron, like all good aprons do have compartments, that held an, some elements called the Urim and the Thummim. And these elements were used to do what we call, um, they were used to basically find the will of the Lord in the Old Testament. Two different stones that they used to try to discern the will of the Lord. And so it mentions this specifically here. It's because now David, the true king, who was anointed by the judge Samuel, who was directed by the prophet Gad, who is king, now has a priest in his midst with the ability to determine the will of God. And we see that the Lord did not hide himself from David in this passage, but the Lord spoke to David. If we are going to step into the fray, if we are going to fulfill our calling as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we are going to do that, then one of the things that we need to do is we need to seek the face of God. We need to seek the face of God, the will of God. And the way that we do that is through the word and prayer. Not only at Christ Community Church do we value the square, the value of the square of living life on mission, but we also believe in what we call the value of the pulpit. You say, all right, well, this, this, this piece of furniture here is a pulpit. Why do you call it the pulpit? Because of all the architecture, of all the furniture that we have in the church today, and there's not that much, right? Chairs and a pulpit. This piece of furniture represents the Word of God and praying the Word of God. In the early church, whenever the disciples were following Jesus and fulfilling their calling, whenever they would gather believers together, they'd actually have two tables, or they would call two platforms or two pulpits and on one table they would have the old testament and then on a second table they would have the new testament so you had these tables these pulpits holding the word of god holding it central before the followers of christ and we find that today in our church what we want to do and what we want to be is we want to be a people who are always having the word of god central in our lives, that we look to it to know who God is, to know what God is about, and how we should follow Christ in holiness. That's what the Word of God does. That's why whenever we come to church, we have so much Bible in our services. We do a call to worship. It's going to be Scripture. We're going to do a, a, a prayer of confession. It's going to be led by Scripture. We're going to have an assurance of pardon. It's going to be led by Scripture. We're going to have scripture readings. 
even if it takes like 10 minutes to do it because we're having to read two chapters. We're going to do it. Why? Because we believe the word of God is crucial to the life of the believer. Because it is how we seek out the face of God. It's how God speaks to us. We want to be a word-formed people, seeking out who God is, what he's about, and what he would have us do. And so we read the word of God. We listen to the word of God. We sing the word of God. But also as a part of that, we want to be a people who are praying the word of God that we pray God's words back to him. Because that's how we speak to God. We speak to God through prayer, and he speaks to us through his word. It's a conversation that we are able to have with God. I was thinking about prayer this week, and my mind went back to an old sermon by John Piper. He's a retired pastor. He has a ministry now called Desiring God. And he was talking about the Christian's mission, the Christian's life, and this idea of prayer. And I have this unusually long quote. Goodness, it's like four or five pages. No, it's it's, it's a paragraph. I want to read you that this morning because I think it's worthwhile of how we view prayer oftentimes. It's what John Piper says. He says, so I do not tire of saying to our church, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions, why prayer doesn't work in the hands of believers is that we try to turn our wartime walkie-talkie, and I'm going to pause there. If you're in the Army, I'm sorry he called, like, the radio walkie-talkie. I'm sure y'all don't say, hey, walkie-talkie back to base or whatever. You know, he's like me, never in the Army. All right, so we turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. He says, until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in his troops and gave them a crucial mission. Go and bear fruit. And he handed each of them a personal transmitter coded with a frequency to the general's headquarters. And he says... He sounds Russian here. Comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you a personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and you seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter. God will always be as close to you as you are to prayer to give you tactical advice, and to send in air cover whenever you or your brothers need it. He continues on, But what have millions of Christians done? They have stopped believing that we are at war. Christians have stopped believing that they have a calling from God to make disciples. He says there's no urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peacetime, and prosperity. And so what did they do with that walkie-talkie? What did they do with that radio? They tried to rig it up as an intercom to their cushy couches and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, 
but to ask the maid to bring another pillow for the den. What is he saying? He is saying because we have fallen out of this idea that we are in a fight, that we have dismissed this idea that as Christians we are stepping into a fray and into a mission, that since we no longer view ourselves in a battle or in a war, we have taken this beautiful thing called prayer and this useful thing called prayer and we've turned it into an intercom to ask the maid to bring in more pillows for the den. Christ Community Church, we need to be in the Word to see the God, and the, to see His character, to see His work, to see what He'd have us do. But we also need to be a people of prayer, seeking His face as David sought the face of God when he was in trials. I hear over and over again, and I have the experience of feeling the pressure of the world closing in. And there are times where we need to say, God, help me. Legitimate prayer. But there are also times where we need to say, God, how would you fulfill the mission in my life? Open a door for me to proclaim the mystery of Christ. We need to be a people of word and prayer. Finally, we need to be a people who encourage one another. I love this passage. As Saul is searching for David all over the place, he can't find him. Where's David? Here comes like Jonathan, his son, like waltzing into camp. <laughs> he says, hey, guys. Uh, but what does Jonathan do when he gets to David's camp? He then encourages David. Look at what it says in verse 16. Then Saul's son, Jonathan, came to David in Horesh, and he encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows this to be true. What did David need? in this time. He needed to seek God. Yes, he needed to remember his calling. Yes. But whenever you are in the fray, that word fray means, means friction. It means conflict. Whenever you are in the fray of life, in the conflict of life, trying to fulfill your calling and mission to follow Christ, it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? Like, I'm just thinking about David and what David was going through, saying, all right, here I am. I'm king, and my kingdom right now is 600 unruly men, men who have come to me because they were outlaws themselves, men who came to me because they were debtors, men who had no place to be, and I'm like the king of this vagabond army, and it is my job to lead them. And every time I say, hey, let's go save a city, they're saying, Really, David? You sure you want to do this? Not, not exactly following orders very well. And it was David's job to make sure that these 600 men had food. It was David's job to make sure that these 600 men had supply. It was his job to keep them safe. And on top of all this, it was his job, though there was a king with an army out there, it was his job and his calling that when a city was under attack, he'd go rescue them. Do you think he had a few things on his shoulders, a few worries that kept him up at night. Yes, he had the word of God to, to show him where to go and what to do. He had his calling, which, which was good and comforting, but he still needed 
the encouragement of Jonathan. This is why at our church we have the value of the table. We had the furniture of the pulpit, and now we have the furniture of a dining room table as one of our values. What is that about? That the value of the table is our, at our church is basically saying if we are going to be in the fray together, if we are going to be on this mission together, then we need to know each other. And the conversations we need to have with each other need to be deeper than, man, it's sure humid outside. Or, man, I'm tired of masks. Or whatever it may be. That our, our conversations that we need to know one another deep enough and well enough so that we can know how we are actually doing. Do you know how to encourage and speak truth into other people's lives who are here at this church? Are you known well enough so that when people look at you, they say, I know this person and I know how they need to be encouraged? Jonathan knew David. They were in covenant with one another and they were there to speak into each other's lives, to encourage, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to not give up, that God was in control. And this is all of our roles for one another. The table, this fellowship that we have is not an end, but it's a means to an end, to continue the fight, to continue the mission. If you do not know people in this church in this way, you need to. The, the practical way that we have set this up is through what we call community groups or discipleship groups. And if you're not in one, man, get in one. Talk with me about that afterwards. We'll get you plugged in. And if you're not in one, find some other way to get to know the men and women at this church so that you can be an encouragement to them and so that they can be an encouragement to you. Let's look at this last idea in conclusion. At the end of the story, people still turned David in. They said, Saul, we know where David is. Come get him. We got 600 men in our valley, in our mountains. We're afraid they might eat our food and trample our grass. So come get them. So what does Saul do? He sends them out as spies to find out where David was. And when they came back with more information, Saul went in hot pursuit of David. In fact, we're told in this passage, not only was he in hot pursuit, we were told that he was getting close to him, so close that he nearly captured him. They were on opposite sides of this same, this same mountain, just, just skirting each other, just missing each other. And as David was nearly captured, what happened? A messenger comes, says, Saul, you're needed elsewhere. The Philistines are here. This reminds me of the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us and he has a mission for you to do and he has allowed you to have this way to seek his face and he has given you brothers and sisters in Christ, you're, you're as John Piper would say, comrades in arms, right? This is who you are and what you are about. God is saying, this is my mission and I will see that it will be successful, that it is accomplished. And what we see is God and his providence orchestrating things so that his mission can be accomplished. 
Think about that when you go out to your square, when you go out to your place of business, when you go out to, to where you live your daily life, that God is going out before you, orchestrating success for his mission. So as you leave this place this week, leave with that encouragement. God is for you, that God is with you. He will not leave you, he will not forsake you, and he will see his mission accomplished. Let's pray.